maybe people that we don't know very well or people that don't look like us or people that even have different accents. Um, I like thinking about this passage in Revelation chapter 7. It's the vision that God gave John of the future. And this is what John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, ethnos, standing before the throne, the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, singing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's great singing this week. Great, great singing. I've loved singing with you. We've loved being with you. But there is a day that's coming that's going to be even better than family camp week two. Even though this is awesome. <laughs> There's going to be a day, if you're a Christ follower, where you, together with all believers from all times, all around the globe, the Bible says from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, that will be singing like we sang tonight except so much louder, because there's so many more people, and we'll be in heaven, and it doesn't matter if you're tone deaf or not, we'll be singing. How amazing is that? I cannot wait to be there. To be singing here is just an appetizer of what we get to do in heaven. You understand that in heaven, we're going to be worshiping like for eternity, right? That's the one thing we can do here on earth that we're also going to be doing in heaven, we get to worship here, and in heaven, we're just going to be doing that for all eternity. Isn't that cool? So this is like practice. This is practice for the real deal, so let's practice really well. I love singing. Today was a great day at camp. Some of you got some more sun, obviously. Uh, congratulations. I thought you learned from my mistake a couple days ago. Uh, another hot new tip for people that have never been to family camp, the big bicycles down at the lake, they look super fun. But if you take one of those with somebody whose feet can't touch the pedals, it's not fun at all. It's just exercise disguised as fun, all right? They look amazing, like giant pillows with a bicycle seat on it, but that's not at all what they are. It's a lot. Your calves are going to feel it if you go with somebody that's six years old and doesn't have much legs. We, uh, we were in the water wars. So that's always fun. As somebody over here said it's like Lord of the Flies with those kids. <laughs> you know, they're just going, just going crazy. And then you get the dads that are, um, well, you know where the kids come from <laughs> because they're just like that. Uh, only at camp do you see a bunch of grown men uh, dug into a hole in barrels just flailing their arms all over the place. I don't even know what, what a squinny is, but squinny ball looked amazing. That was, that was a lot of fun. There, there you go. Um, it was the spring of uh, the year 2000. Meredith and I have been dating for about three and a half years. And one afternoon, I went to a local jeweler store. I had asked around and, and uh, found out from several of the guys that I knew um, that had bought engagement rings where they, where they went. And so I went to this place in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I remember walking in. It was tiny. It was about the size of this area right here where the pianos are, this part of the stage. 
And I just remember it being so incredibly hot in that, in that room. The glass uh, display cases were out, the lights were blaring, and this little tiny guy that didn't have much hair came out from the back room and he said, can I help you? And I said, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but I need an engagement ring. And I told you I'm not a great gift giver, so Meredith and I talked about this. She actually gave me several pictures of what she was looking for. <laughs> and uh, Amazon didn't exist back then, at least not that I know of, so I actually had to go to the store. So uh, I went into the store and, and picked out, uh, gave, gave this man a, a sketch, a couple drawings of what, what I thought we wanted. Bought an engagement ring, took it back without Meredith knowing into my dorm room. Still a senior in college, she was still a senior at the same school. Kept it in my sock drawer for the next several, several months, right? Because that's where guys keep everything really, really, really valuable. In a guy's dorm, I kept something very valuable in the top drawer of my dresser. Uh, great idea. But nobody took it, and so a couple months later, we were up in New York. I was interning at her church uh, for the summer, and uh, it was the day that I had decided where I'm going to ask her to marry me. And so I had all these plans. We had planned, uh, I had planned to, to take her out on this romantic dinner. We were going to go to a place where she had always wanted to get married, Sonnenberg Gardens, which was right there outside of Rochester. And I thought, man, if we could get engaged at Sonnenberg Gardens, that would be amazing because that's where she wants to get married. So we showed up at Sonnenberg Gardens and it was closed. Everything was locked up. And she said, oh, that's too bad. She didn't know what we were doing. She didn't know I was going to ask her to marry me that night. But she said, uh, well, let's just go somewhere else. And I'm like, no way. We're getting in here. So I'm like trying to climb the wall, break the padlock. I'm trying to get in because I'm going to get engaged at the place where we want to get married, you know. Well, we didn't end up getting in there. So we went to a restaurant on the waterfront of Lake Canandaigua. There was a hot air balloon festival. It was amazing, just perfect, perfect, perfect. I'd already asked her parents if I could marry her. She has a sister. They, they looked at me and said, which daughter do you want to marry? <laughs> I said, well, if you're, if you're still asking that, I've done something wrong, you know. I've been dating for three and a half years. So we go on a walk after dinner. We're walking around this um, beautiful lakeside pathway. And I, I don't want anybody else to be on the path when I get down on one knee. So we're, I'm, I'm sort of stalling. She doesn't know what I'm doing, but we kind of are walking back and forth. I've got the ring like burning a hole in my pocket, my hands in my pocket the whole time so she doesn't see the, you know, the box right there. I'm trying to hide it. She has no idea what's going on. We walk back and forth. Finally, I'm like, uh, I, got, I, got to, I got to use the bathroom. So we, I, duck, I duck into this bathroom, open up the ring box, make sure the diamond is exactly in the right spot because when I open it the right way you know you don't want it to be like upside down or like hidden or anything and you know it just looks like a rubber band in this box you know? like I want to open it up and have that presentation be real so I went into the restroom made sure it was right came back out walked around a little bit more I can remember this couple was walking on the sidewalk sort of with us and uh, I we I just stopped and we sat down on this bench and I just wanted to make sure it was just us right so finally, it was just us. We're right on the lake. It's a night like tonight. It was amazing. Early summer, the year 2000. I get down on one knee right next to her, and she starts crying, and I say something really amazing. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> but it ended with, <laughs> she does not, I'm sure. It ended with, will you marry me? I'm looking up into her eyes, and I've got her hand, and I've got the ring, and she looks down at me. And she says those words that every guy in that position wants to hear. Are you serious right now? 
That's how she responded to me. I asked the biggest question of my entire life, and that's the response, right? I'm like, yes, I'm serious. I didn't go through all this for nothing, you know? You have no idea. This thing's been in my sock drawer for months. I went into the jewelry store multiple times. I'm sweating like crazy. I paid all kinds of money. My dorm dad had to co-sign for me because I had no money. I'm, I'm here on Lake Canandaigua. Yes, I'm serious. Well, finally she said yes, I think over the next couple minutes, and on the way back we stopped at a drugstore so she could get fake nails so that, I guess that's something girls do so they can show off jewelry or something, I don't know. (laughs) That was not in my plans of that date, but, you know, once we got engaged that all went out the window anyway, so That that was the biggest, boldest question that I had ever asked anybody. The biggest, boldest question. Questions are amazing, aren't they? Without questions, someone had said, there is no learning. I hope that you're a question asker. You know, one of the questions that's been the biggest, boldest questions of all time that people have asked for generations and generations is a very simple question. It's this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's probably the most important question that's ever been asked. And the answer has impacted not only our earthly existence right now today, but it also impacts if and what comes after we die. If you ask that question, the answer is vitally important to your life and to what happens after you die. In fact, the question drives us to discover the very reason for our existence. You might say the motivation for living. Or the purpose behind every single one of the breaths that we take. Who is Jesus? It's a huge question. And maybe you feel like we're overstating that tonight. Like, that's a big question, but it's not one of the biggest questions, right? Listen, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then surely he deserves nothing less than my everything. But on the other hand, if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, then as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, those who follow this Jesus are of all men to be most pitied. In other words, Paul says people who have given their lives to Jesus are the greatest fools, the most gullible, the biggest losers the world has ever seen if Jesus isn't who he says he is. So let's hope he really is. It's a big question. Which is it? Should we give our lives to follow him or just discard him and live our lives for ourselves? We're talking about changing our perspectives based on the word of God in print, the Bible, and the person of God, Jesus. So who is Jesus? I love C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite authors. The Narnia thing is just amazing and all the illustrations and analogies in there. This is what C.S. Lewis said about Christ. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Because some people think that that's all he was, right? He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg <laughs> or he would be the devil from hell. You can't You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But Lewis says, let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Lewis says he's either a liar, he's not who he says he is, he's a lunatic, he thinks he is what he's saying, but he's really not, or he is in fact Lord. There is only one option. Who is Jesus? 
By the way, very few people actually debate whether or not Jesus existed. That's not what we're talking about here tonight. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Even, even scholars are almost unanimous that the Jesus we read about in the Bible actually walked on the earth. The man born to Joseph, the carpenter, and the teenage girl, Mary. They believe he walked on earth. The question is whether or not he's Jesus, the Son of God, both fully God and fully man. So we may ask that tonight, but it's not really a new question. People in Jesus' day were wondering the same thing. In fact, Jesus asked his own closest friends in Matthew 16, 15, who do you say that I am? That's a great question, isn't it? Jesus asked some really good ones. John's gospel was written to offer offer evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John says that in John chapter 20, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And John records actually seven statements that Jesus claims about himself. Remember, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. This is what Jesus says about himself in the Gospel of John. So who is Jesus? Number one, he says, I'm the bread of life, John 6, 35 and 38. He's using everyday objects to talk about spiritual truths. In a sense, it's an illustration or a parable. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's basically saying, you have to consume me. Jesus, I am your spiritual sustenance. Without me, you cannot survive. Camp food is great, isn't it? Some of you are like, we can't survive without food. There's no way you could be here today without food. There's no way you could be enjoying the week that you have enjoyed without food. We love food. We need food. What's your favorite food, Ben, from this week? Pizza, yell it out. What else? Lemon bars. bars. What else? Ice cream. cream. Salad, someone said. For me, it's the chipper, okay? I've never had a chipper before. I had a chipper last night. It's like the size of a pizza pie. The thing is, Jesus is saying, I am the chipper of life here, okay? You cannot survive without me, he says. You gotta have me. Now, the chipper's two bucks, Jesus is free, so that's not quite, not quite the same, right? <laughs> you cannot live without Jesus. You know, in Jesus' day, bread was the staple. I mean, you had to have bread. That was part of every single meal. That's what people ate. That's how they survived. Jesus is saying, you can't survive without me. To not feed from Christ and his teaching is to put yourself into a state of self-imposed spiritual starvation. Who is Jesus? He's the bread of life. You gotta have it. Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. The light of the world. Light represents the purity or the brightness or the holiness of Christ. You've seen a lighthouse, right? We've got them here, of course. IRBC, a light to the next generation. Light shows where danger is, shows where the path is. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. As believers, we are to walk in his light. And also, we get to shine his light into the darkness around us. By the way... Light is ineffective when it's around other light only. When is light most effective? When it's around what? If you find yourself only living around other lights and never around darkness, you are the light of the world. You're just not very effective. You're not hiding it under a bushel. (laughs) You're just never in darkness. 
Get out into the darkness or else your light is doing nothing. You've been given the light of the world. Use it to shine the path back to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. Another great illustration. In John 10, 7 and 9, as the door, Christ has given us access to all kinds of blessings. When you pulled onto camp on Saturday afternoon, between three and five, most of you, you drove in, to a ga- in through a gate, in through a path, in, in a sense, into a door. Once you got onto, camp, uh, onto the campus here, you had access to all kinds of things. You had access to a blob. You had access to a zip line. You had access to food. You had access to a pool. Oh my goodness, thank you for the pool. You had access to paintball. I don't know why you would want it, but you had access to it. Jesus is the door. He gives us access to all kinds of blessings. Joy. Are you a joyful Christian? You know, you look at websites and brochures and commercials for like Disney World and theme parks, and people are, people are all coming out of there like smiling because they're happy. But sometimes I look at people in church or coming out of a small group, and they're like, are we joyful? I mean, my word, we get to serve the king of the universe. We have access to joy. We have access to forgiveness. Friends, without forgiveness, what do we have? Some of you know that more than others. We have access to heaven. We have access to God's family. We desperately need each other. We've got access to victory over sin. We can be holy because he's holy. Jesus is the door. We have access to God, the creator himself. How amazing is that? His creation, who spits in his face and who ignores him and sins against him, he allows access back to him. Jesus is the door. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I really like this. We've got a little dog. We have a love-hate relationship, to be honest with you. She's very little. She's an aggressive lover. (laughs) She licks faces. She bites ankles. She's very protective. But if you open the door, she is gonzo. Um, She needs a shepherd. She needs someone to lead her. She needs someone to feed her. She's not at the stage where she can jump up onto the counter and dish out her own food yet. She needs someone to do that for her. She needs someone to be an overseer for her. This little Shih Tzu Yorkie, she's got to have somebody leading her and feeding her. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. We can't do it on our own. We, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to his own way. We desperately need a shepherd to take care of us, to lead us, and to feed us. Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. Not just any shepherd, but a good shepherd. And we are so glad that he protects us as well, aren't we? Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life in John 11. It's through Christ's death and resurrection that we can enjoy eternal life in heaven and abundant life here on earth. Life that's eternal starts once you get saved and doesn't ever end. We were trying to explain this to Judah the other day. How do you explain forever to a six-year-old? Well, when does it end? It doesn't end. Yeah, but when does it end? It doesn't end. Yeah, but when does it end? Like this conversation, it just never ends, (laughs) you know. That's amazing to me. We can't comprehend eternity. We cannot understand forever. But God has given us access to that. 
He's the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. Jesus isn't just one of the ways. We talked last night about he's not just an accessory. He is the way. He isn't just a good option. He is the only option. Jesus is the way. In a world that's searching and clawing for truth, Christ is the embodiment of truth. He is the way and the truth. It's by following him that we're able to enjoy life as it was supposed to be. Not as we think it was, like the song says, but as it was supposed to be. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh my goodness, I'm so grateful for that. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now we get that in the Midwest, right? We understand agriculture. We understand corn. You don't have a healthy corn ear of corn if it's not connected to a healthy stalk, if that stalk's not connected to a healthy root system. Jesus says, I am the true vine. The grape's connected to the vine. If you don't have a healthy vine, you don't have healthy grapes. Jesus says, I am that vine. You can't be healthy if you're not connected to me. Just like an ear of corn is garbage if it's not connected to a healthy stalk and plant. Jesus is that vine. Get connected to him the way he wants. The illustration of the vine communicates a sense of dependency or of unity, of intimacy that each believer can have with Christ. Jesus says, join me. Be connected to me. Get your nourishment from me. Without me, you cannot thrive the way you're supposed to thrive. Christ nourishes each and every branch. So who is Jesus? He's all of that and more. Jesus is everything. That big, bold question, who is Jesus? He's everything. He's the reason for everything we do and are. And that Jesus is offering you the chance to know him. Not just to know about him. And to be transparent with your friends, we can get really good at knowing about Jesus. Verses about Jesus. Songs about Jesus. um, Facts about Jesus and Christianity and church. But do you know him? Jesus is offering you that chance every single day. I want to look tonight at a group of friends that introduced their friend to Jesus. Our big idea tonight here is really, really very simple. Faith is believing that Jesus can change me and then letting him. Faith is believing that Jesus can change me and then letting him. In your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, we're going to read the story quickly, make a couple comments, a couple applications, and then we'll be off. And we'll get chippers all together here downstairs. Luke chapter 3, context. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, begins his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 4, he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He quotes scripture. By the way, a great idea in temptation. He begins preaching and teaching, healing. He calls his disciples. And then by the time we get to Luke chapter 5, the news about Jesus' ministry, who he was, has spread. People are following him. People are coming from all over the place. They're listening to his teaching. He's got friends. He's got foes. He's got people that love him. He's got people that are out to get him. And then in Luke 5, 17, we kind of horn in on this story of a group of friends that meet Jesus. One day... Verse 17, Jesus was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, all around that area, and the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to perform healing. Another gospel tells us that Jesus was actually in a house at this point, so Jesus is in a house, and he's teaching, and the house is jam-packed with people, we find out a little bit later. 
And it's not just Jesus' friends. There's religious leaders and rulers from all over the area that had come to listen to Jesus. Some of them had come to catch him saying something that they could, um, that they could get after him for. But then the end of verse 17 has this phrase that I just love, and I love reading stuff like this in the Bible. I love Scripture for this reason. The power of the Lord was present for him to begin healing. It's almost like, now this is my imagination, right? It's almost like as Jesus was in there, the power of the Lord was present for him to, for, to perform healing. Now Jesus was God, right? So, so what must that look like for the power of the Lord to be present with God himself. I just picture Jesus like rolling up the robes of his sleeves. Not a tank top, obviously. He was a Christian after all. So, you know, he's got his shoulders covered. And there's Jesus. And, and like I, I just get the tingles when I think about Jesus getting ready to do something. The power of the Lord was present. This is Jesus. Now you add this phrase, the power of the Lord, and you just have this feeling something great is about to happen. You got to keep reading. Verse 18. And some men... We don't know their names. They're just called some men. It's part of the point of the story. It doesn't matter who they were. They were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of Jesus. And so we're introduced to these friends who are carrying a guy who's paralyzed. We don't know much about it, but probably, probably he couldn't walk, maybe didn't even have use of his arms. He probably just not able to do a whole lot, and he's lying on a stretcher. And they weren't just out for a walk with this guy and happened to bump into Jesus, right? They, they were intentional. They were looking for Jesus on purpose. They were carrying this man on a stretcher, and they came to introduce him to Jesus. They were trying to bring him into the house where Jesus was. They'd heard the stories about Jesus and the healings, and so they grabbed their friend to take him to where Jesus was. And, and when they get to the house, they realize it's so packed with people, they can't get their friend close enough to see Jesus. Now, now part of the story is the creativity of these friends. But I, I just love the idea that there's four, you know, we were in youth ministry for like 20 years, and I just love the idea of these four guys, like knocking on the paralyzed guy's door and like, Hey, can Bob come out and play? His mom like opens the door. Yeah, he's just lying around. He's, he's not doing much. So yeah, bring him out here. So they grab him. You know, one guy's got the Xbox. The other guy's got the pizza rolls. You know, it's like a, it's like a small group hangout. They grab the stretcher and they're off. They're off to see Jesus. They're going to make a day of it. So they grab, they grab the guy. They try to get into the house where Jesus is and they realize it's packed. Verse 19, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. <laughs> now, I don't know what this looked like, right? It's a, it's a small house, maybe even a one-room house. And it's not COVID-approved at all. There's people packed in there. There's no six-foot social distancing or anything. The sanitation is not what it is today, right? So people probably smell really bad. One guy raises his hand for a question. Everybody's like, put your arm down, you know. Everybody's sweating. Everybody stinks. And it's packed in there. And so these guys get to the door. They can't even get the stretcher in. Like, dum, 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 dum. You know, they're trying to, they're trying to get through. You can't even. It's, it's jam-packed. So one of the guys looks at the other friend and says, I, you know, I guess that's it. I guess we should go home. And the other dude looks at him and says, no way, man, we're going to introduce this guy to Jesus. I mean, this is the Jesus we've been hearing about. So they kind of look at each other and say, okay, we're going to do this, you know. And I picture them looking at each other and they're like, oh, do you have any ideas? I don't know. I, you know, just like ramming speed or, or I, don't, I don't know. Maybe you set a distraction and we can get him in there. And then one guy's like, I know. 
<laughs> this is this is like the this is the every every group of friends got a crazy one, right? This is that one. He's like the roof. And like uh, what, the roof. Like yeah, let's get a let's get a camel and put a put a donkey on top of that and a goat on top of that and we like climb up and or you know I'll get up and then you guys throw them up to me and I, I don't know how this worked but somehow they got up onto the roof. They got up under the roof of this house. Now, you can picture this here, right? This is a much bigger building, of course, but, but we've got these guys that are now, and you can hear them because they're, they're walking on these uh, branches and sticks and mud, and so everybody in here is like starting to hear things, and there's pebbles starting to fall down, and, and they look up, and all of a sudden, there's this, there's this opening appearing, and you can start to see sunlight, and they're like, what in the world's going on? Put your arm down, you're sweating, you know? <laughs> what? They're getting sand and pebbles and mud in their eyes, and all of a sudden, they've got a skylight in the middle of this like first century house. It's amazing. The first one ever. And then, this incredible thing happens. P- picture this. This is an amazing story. You're looking up at this opening in the roof, and all of a sudden, you see these four guys' heads peer down. You can just see the silhouette, and you're like, what in the world are those guys doing? And then you see this giant rectangle like being lowered into the middle of the opening and there's a rope on each corner of the stretcher and these four heads are attached to four bodies with four arms and all of a sudden you start to hear and the stretcher's like you know and they're they're four teenagers maybe and so they're not like super coordinated with the stretcher and he's like hey guys I'm sort of leaning here you know falling off on the right so they get it they get it straight and all of a sudden, it comes down, down, down. And you're, you're just looking up at this thing. It's just an amazing scene. And all of a sudden, this guy comes down to where he's eye level with Jesus. I don't know. Jesus may be standing on a table or maybe up on a box or something a little bit higher so people could see him. You know, he's in the middle of the room. And this guy lowers right down. And I picture the guy just looking straight into Jesus' eyes. And that moment must have been just incredible to see. Here's a guy who maybe felt unloved his entire life. Unuseful. <laughs> like an outcast. A misfit. Maybe a beggar. And there's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, looking at him right in the eyes. And his four friends up there lowering him down. I just think that's incredible. These guys, you know, they're creative. They're probably a little crazy, too. Now, we do crazy things at camp, right? The blob, come on. That's a death wish, right? The zip line, you know, you dads that throw your kids down that thing, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> It's like 200 yards, the cable's like this big around the size of a dime. What are we doing? That's crazy, right? But we, we do stuff. We do crazy things with our friends. These guys came up with something crazy. Not just because they loved their friend, but they loved him so much they wanted to introduce him to the one that could heal him. And I wonder sometimes, we have a ton of fun at camp. We love family camp, it's amazing. But I wonder sometimes if we're as energetic or as creative or even as crazy about introducing other people to Jesus as we are about having a great time and stuff like this. I love this. We need to do this. We absolutely have to. 
But how much energy do we put into introducing people that desperately need Jesus to the one who can save their souls? They were creative. Are we being creative? Now watch this, verse 20. This is where it gets amazing. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Seeing their faith. Jesus looked at these four friends and the paralyzed man, and he saw through who they were and realized that they had faith. That's why they did what they did. Jesus saw that they had faith. My, your sins are forgiven you. Maybe this paralyzed guy is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. My, my sins? I just want to walk again. I mean, listen, I had nothing to do with this. These guys came, picked me up. They lowered me down. They put me in front of you. I don't know what's going on here. But Jesus knew that he had a deeper need than just physical healing. Now, listen, it wasn't their external actions that saved them. It was their faith. And that's still true of us today. But their external actions provided evidence of their internal faith. Faith is believing that Jesus can change me and then letting him. If we say we have faith and don't act on that faith, that's not faith. That's not Christianity. It's just convenience. And sometimes we get sucked into that kind of thinking and acting. And look at the other side of the story in verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason among themselves, kind of whispering, who is this man that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but Jesus, but God alone? There it is, the big question. Who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? The religious leaders start talking amongst themselves, saying, who is this guy? We've known this beggar, this paralyzed man, since he was a kid. And we've known Jesus since he was a kid. He's Joseph's son, right? The carpenter. He's either a liar, he can't forgive sins, or he's a lunatic. He thinks he's God, but he's just crazy. Or he's Lord. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do in verse 22. says he's aware of their reasonings. I just love that. Jesus always knows, didn't he? <laughs> he still always knows. These religious leaders are kind of whispering themselves. Jesus says, I'm aware. I know what you're saying. And he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk? Jesus is a great question asker. Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven? Which no one can really, you can't see any external evidence of that right away, right? Hey, your sins are forgiven. Okay. Or get up and walk. Well, that's easy to test, right? Can, can you test that? Yeah, if I get up and walk, then that's proven. If I don't, then there's something wrong here. Get up and walk, saying that to a paralytic, that's easy to test. But just so that there's no confusion and to prove that he's God, Jesus says in verse 23, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And immediately this guy gets up before them. He picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus says, I forgive your sins, and I'm not just going to leave it there, but to prove that I am the Son of God, I'm I'm also going to heal you physically so that everybody can see that I can do this, proving that I can do this thing as well. I forgive you, and I'm going to heal you physically. Get up and walk. And this guy picks up his stretcher, rolls up his mat, throws it over his shoulder, and skips home. Amazing. I picture this. 
He may never have walked before. I don't know what I was like. Maybe he just starts by slowly moving his arm. Maybe he lifts his head up off the stretcher. His four friends still up there. They're like, go, 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 go. Everybody gets in on it, right? Go, go, go. He lifts up his two arms. Then he starts to lift his feet. You know, his legs are a little wobbly. Gets up on his feet, bends back over, picks up the stretcher, you know, puts it behind him. He's like slow, like a, like a drunk guy or a baby just learning to walk or whatever, you know. And then all of a sudden it comes to him and he's like, oh my goodness, look at what I can do here. Yeah! <laughs> he's just skipping home. Picture that. For the very first time, not only are his sins forgiven, but he's been healed as well. So that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. Pick up your mat and walk. And verse 26 says, they were all struck with astonishment when he gave glory all the way home. And they began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Yeah, duh, you have. You've never seen anything like that before. Just like the woman at the well, right? Her change pointed others to Jesus. Just like the blind man, I don't know what happened. I was once blind, now I can see. That's my testimony. His story caused others to worship Jesus. This paralyzed man, people around him couldn't ignore what Jesus had done. When they saw the life change, they could not ignore what Jesus had done. So who is Jesus? He's the one that makes everything make sense. He's the one who can heal our deepest pains. He's the one who turns the world upside down, who astonishes and astounds even the smartest cynics and skeptics. He's the only one who's worthy of our lives, and he's offering you the chance to know him intimately. Today, he's looking at each one of you and asking, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So I think it's a big question that demands a response. And to respond, I think we need to identify some potential roadblocks. See, these four guys, there were a whole lot of things standing between them and their friend meeting Jesus. What's keeping you from having a relationship with Christ that you want to have? Maybe for you, it's your crowd. Maybe it's the people that you hang out with. My crowd just isn't into all-in Christianity. I mean, I'm, I'm in when I'm around this crowd, but when I'm around this crowd, I don't want to talk at all about my story. Maybe it's your crowd that's a roadblock. Maybe it's your condition. You know, man, I, I like my life right now. Going all in for Jesus, having my life completely transformed, that just seems like a little much. Can I just be comfortable? Can I just be lukewarm? The Bible has something to say about that one too, right? Crowd, your condition. Maybe it's the critics. Maybe it's the people around you, and you're saying, I'm afraid of what people will say if I'm a Christian. Maybe you're a teenager here, and you're saying, man, I, if I tell my friends on my sports team, at my job, at my lunch table, by my locker, these, these guys just won't accept me anymore. They won't even talk to me. They'll laugh at me. They'll pick on me. I'm afraid of what they'll say if I tell them that I'm a Christian. These guys didn't let anything stop them from meeting Jesus Christ. Here's a big one. Maybe your calendar. 
Maybe your calendar is a roadblock, and you might say, I just have so much going on right now, I can't give the kind of time and energy to the relationship with Christ that I really want to. My kids have sports, I've got a part-time job as well, they're really pushing me, I can't give the time that it'll take to get to know Jesus. What is your roadblock? Identify that. Talk with your family, talk with your spouse if you're here with them, get that straight, what is your roadblock? And then get rid of your excuses. Ask yourself, do I want to do anything about those roadblocks? Christ said, if you, if you love me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That is not convenient Christianity. That is get, go all in, give everything up, do it for him because he did it for you. Live a life on earth that reflects the way that Jesus died for you. Take up your cross and follow him. Go all in. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Not just some or almost. That's all. That's not convenient. That's Christ-like. Don't hide your pain. Some of you are paralyzed because of the pain in your lives. Maybe it's pain of past sin or, or past mistakes or, or pain from, from a family that's kind of going haywire right now. Or maybe it's pain of, of pride. Maybe you're worried about what other people will think if you go all in. Or pain of an unforgiving spirit. Maybe you're crippled by bitterness. Maybe you're paralyzed by anger at someone else. Maybe it's a pain of guilt. We talked about that. God's not a God of guilt. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I, I can't do that. I'll never be the kind of Christian that I want to be. Yes, you can be, and so much more. Sometimes church is the place where we're least honest all week. Sometimes camp is the same way. Take off that mask like the woman at the well. Jesus sees you for who you are anyway, and he loves you. Here's another one. Express faith and experience forgiveness. If you're not a believer here today, do exactly what those four friends and that paralyzed man did. Express their faith. Act on it. Come to Jesus and experience that forgiveness. Your life will be changed forever. And I mean forever and ever and ever and ever. God loves you. He's forgiven you. And lastly, live in a way that represents a changed life. When people talk about you, do they talk about you as someone that's different? They may not know why, but are you different? Are you unmistakably different? Jesus rescued you from eternal death if you're a Christ follower. Live your life on earth for him. Has Jesus changed everything for you? Live like he has. Faith is believing that Jesus can change you and then letting him. So who is Jesus? That's the big question, right? He's the one that changes everything. And maybe you're here today and you're on the edge of that incredible life, but you're paralyzed by your what-ifs. What if I do go? Or what if this doesn't work out? Or what if she doesn't like me anymore? It's time to turn all of your what-ifs into why-nots and go all in. What's stopping you from being totally committed to Jesus, from devoting your life to the life? Roadblocks, maybe? or excuses, or pain. Friends, take a step of faith today. Tear back the ceiling. Get in front of Jesus. Look at him eye to eye. Experience his love. Express your faith in him and have him change your life forever. What an amazing privilege we have. Lord, thank you. For scripture, thanks for family camp, 
Thanks for the opportunity to be encouraged and loved, comforted, exhorted, challenged, blessed by your word and by people this week. Thank you so much for these precious people, God. I pray that you would show them how much you love them and how much faith in you is so worth it. Lord, thank you. In your precious and holy name, amen.